Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode number 26 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. Thank you very much for tuning in. I do hope that you're finding these podcasts useful for keeping up to date with employment law and just learning a bit more about some HR best practice. If you are enjoying the podcast, I'd be really grateful if you could share the content and also let me know if there's anything that you would like me to cover in the the podcast so any topics or anything that's interesting for you or equally if you have any interesting cases that you've been involved in and you'd like to come onto the podcast and talk about them I will be starting up some interviews shortly and so the podcast will be coming to you weekly once I get those interviews underway. So if you do want to contact me it's alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. In this week's featured segment, I'm going to be talking to you about a case involving unfair dismissal and how the employment tribunals make their decisions on whether the decision to dismiss an employee by an employer is fair or not. So without further ado, I will move into the featured segment. So today's featured segment is about unfair dismissal and this is a case which involves somebody who was dismissed for misconduct and whether their decision of the employer was fair or not to dismiss that person. The case is Mr Robert Newbound, he's the employee, and Thames Water Utilities Limited. Now the reason this case has been reported is that it was a recent decision made by the Court of Appeal which means that the case had been through the Employment Tribunal first, then it went to the Employment Appeal Tribunal and finally to the Court of Appeal. The facts in this case are that Mr Newbound had been employed for 34 years when he was dismissed in 2011, September 2011, for misconduct. Now the circumstances of Mr Newbound's dismissal are that part of his role was carrying out annual inspections of pen stocks. So he was a pen stock coordinator. I don't know what that means but um, apparently it involved going into um, sewers, looking at the water flow and that sort of thing. Now on the particular day of the misconduct that was alleged against Mr Newbound, he was due to inspect a pen stock with a colleague, Mr King. And Mr King was a contractor, so he wasn't an employee of Thames Water. Prior to going in to do the inspection, Mr Newbound had a discussion with his manager, Mr Dennis. So he was the person that Mr Newbound reported to. And apparently a a conversation took place about whether Mr King, who was a contractor, was able to use the Thames Water's breathing apparatus for the inspection. On the day of the inspection, they went through the safety requirements And one of the things that was brought up was a new work form. So a new safe work form that was introduced by Thames Water. And it was called a SHE4. Now, Mr. Dennis, so the the manager, explained to Mr. Newbound what the SHE4 was all about and why it was necessary as part of the Thames Water's new health and safety management. Apparently, he read a brief description of the work and went through the tasks involved and had made it clear to Mr Newbound and Mr King that breathing apparatus were to be used on this particular inspection. 
So Mr. Newbound and Mr. King went off to do the inspection and they were being supervised on that particular job by somebody called Mr. Andrews. And Mr. Andrews was known as the competent person in charge. And they again had further discussions about whether it was safe to enter the sewer and whether it was safe to do so without breathing apparatus or not. So they were on the ground about to go in and do the inspection and they were taking various checks to make sure it was safe. And one of those checks apparently included checking gas monitors to make sure it was safe for them to enter. And upon doing so, they, Mr. Newbound and Mr. King took a view that they would be okay just to wear respiratory masks rather than um, the full breathing apparatus. And they took various equipment with them to ensure that they were still safe and monitored the gas, all of those sorts of things. Now, obviously, Mr. Andrews, being the competent person in charge, had, by his actions in failing to prevent them from going in without breathing apparatus, uh, consented to what they were doing as well. When the inspection was taking place, um, a Mr. Gunn, who was the field service manager, attended at the site and he noted that Mr. Newbound wasn't wearing breathing apparatus. Now Mr. Gunn was Mr. Dennis's line manager so it went the reporting line went Mr. Newbound, Mr. Dennis and Mr. Gunn. Mr. Gunn later on noted that on the SHE4 form it stated that Mr. Newbound was to use breathing apparatus for this particular job and he noted that obviously that hadn't been done and so he reported it to his line manager, the regional performance manager, who then investigated the issue. Mr Gunn then investigated the situation. So he investigated the fact that Mr Newbound had clearly not followed the instructions that were on the new SHE4 form. The result of that was that the information was passed to Mr Nassan, who then conducted a disciplinary investigation, and he looked into um, Mr Newbound's health and safety record. And one of the things that he found was that it had been recorded that on at least four occasions since February 2010, so in the previous year also that Mr Newbound had had minor injuries at work and Mr Nassan took the view that those incidents demonstrated that he was complacent about health and safety and together with the failure to follow the instructions on the SHE form he proceeded with the disciplinary. At the same time Mr Andrews was also um, subject to investigation and disciplinary because obviously he was the competent person in charge of the operation to enter the sewer. And he too had failed to follow the instructions on the SHE4 form. Now at his disciplinary hearing, Mr Newbound had confirmed that he had signed the SHE4 form. But he did say that he hadn't actually read it fully. And he hadn't seen one of those documents before because it was a new procedure. He hadn't yet been trained on what the procedure was. And wasn't entirely clear at the time that it had been completed with his manager, Mr Dennis, what was required of him. Mr Newbound's defence was that he had taken the precautionary steps along with his colleague Mr Andrews and with the contractor Mr King and they had then proceeded on the basis of the risk to health and safety by using the respiratory masks rather than breathing apparatus. Unfortunately for Mr Newbound, uh, Mr Nassan decided that it was a serious breach of health and safety and therefore he dismissed Mr Newbound for gross misconduct. On the other hand, Mr Andrews, who was subject to disciplinary action for the same incident, received a written warning which was to remain on his file for 12 months and he was also um, required to undertake an improvement plan. So contrast there, Mr Newbound 
who was dismissed for gross misconduct, and Mr Andrews, who just received a written warning. Unsurprisingly, Mr Newbound made a claim to the Employment Tribunal for unfair dismissal. Now, the Employment Tribunal decided that Thames Water had undertaken a, a good investigation. They had looked into all of the issues, and the reason for the dismissal was conduct. What the Employment Tribunal disagreed with was whether it was reasonable to treat Mr Newbound's conduct as a sufficient enough reason to dismiss him. Now, considering the question here, which is reasonableness, and also having regard to equity and the substantial merits of the case, the judge decided that it had been unfair to dismiss Mr Newbound. And this was on the basis that the document SHE4 which uh, was crucial to the decision to dismiss Mr Newbound, was a comparatively recent um, procedure and the judge was not satisfied that Mr Newbound and his colleagues had been trained in its significance. So they weren't given sufficient enough information for the employer Thameswater to rely on that document and that procedure. The judge was also satisfied in this case that Mr Newbound had genuinely believed that the SHE4 was just guidance rather than it being something that he had to adhere to. The judge was also rather scathing of the employer's evidence about Mr Newbound's remorse in this case and whether he had accepted that he had not worn breathing apparatus. Mr Newbound was clear in his case that he had been employed for 34 years He'd had a clean disciplinary record. He had admitted what he'd done. He had said that he had not understood at the time and that he would be prepared to undertake additional training to ensure that he met with their health and safety procedures in the future. So because of these, all these factors, the employment judge decided that actually it wasn't reasonable to dismiss Mr Newbound for this allegation. In addition to this, the judge found that the dismissal was unfair based on the disparate treatment of Mr Newbound and Mr Andrews. Essentially, both were employed in the same operation and Mr Andrews was, in fact, in charge of the operation. And he he was the one who allowed them both to enter the sewer without the breathing apparatus. Yet he was given a written warning and had to undergo training and um, Mr Newbound was dismissed. So one of the factors about fairness of the decision is whether the employers behave consistently, and clearly in this case they hadn't. In summary, the judge found in the favour of Mr Newbound. The case went to the Employment Appeal Tribunal, who, upon looking at it, decided actually in favour of Thames Water. In their decision, they considered that the employment judge had actually failed to consider the reasonableness of the gravity with which Thames Water viewed the misconduct. So the judge had failed to look at it upon the way that Thames Water would have done in the same circumstances. So they decided that actually it was fair to dismiss Mr Newbound. And that brings us to the decision that's been recently made, which was made in June of this year. So some four years after Mr Newbound was dismissed. And that was that the Court of Appeal restored the employment judge's original decision and decided that actually it had been unreasonable for Thameswater to to dismiss Mr Newbound and therefore his claim for unfair dismissal should stand. They found that the judge in the first instance had not made an error of law and that the Employment Appeal Tribunal shouldn't have interfered with the original decision. 
The key things to come from this case are that it's an assessment of reasonableness in making a decision whether to dismiss somebody or not. And what the Employment Tribunal will do, will look at all the information that was in front of the employer at the time they made the decision. So it's irrelevant if information comes to light after in the course of the Employment Tribunal proceedings. So long as the information is before the employer at the time they make the decision, that is what will be considered. When a claim for unfair dismissal reaches the employment tribunal and it surrounds the question of conduct, the employment tribunal will look at whether the decision was fair at the time it was made. And this will depend on whether, in the circumstances, the employer acted reasonably or unreasonably in treating that reason as a sufficient reason for dismissing the employee, and that shall be determined in accordance with equity and the substantial merits of the case. A dismissal for misconduct will only be fair if, at the time of the dismissal, the one, the employer believed the employee to be guilty of the misconduct, fairly obvious you'd think. Two, that the employer had reasonable grounds for believing that the employee was guilty of that misconduct. And three, at the time it formed that belief on those grounds, it had carried out as much investigation as was reasonable in the circumstances. So that's what you need to have in mind when you're making your decisions about whether to dismiss somebody is do you believe them to be guilty of that misconduct? Do you have reasonable grounds for that belief? So is it reasonable to, to form that opinion in relation to the allegation? And at the time that you have formed that opinion, have you carried out enough investigation to establish if the information you're relying on is actually true? What I would certainly advise is in a situation where you have an issue of misconduct, you should certainly take some advice before making your final decision or at least get somebody to have a look at it from an objective point of view. If you have any cases like this and you want to run them by me, I'm more than happy to listen to what the scenario is and give you my advice on what I think the Employment Tribunal would decide if it reached that point. At least then you can take a view knowing what your potential risks are. So that's the featured segment for this week. It's unfair dismissal, a misconduct in the case of Newbound and Thames Water Utilities. Now for my HR best practice tip. And this week, it's about defining the relationship with your staff. Now, I've come across a number of situations recently where businesses have taken somebody on and initially it's been on a view that they are sort of a self-employed contractor um, for obvious reasons. You know, it's, if it's a new business or a growing business, there might not be enough work to guarantee to take somebody on as an employee, for example. Now, when you take on a worker, for instance, let's call them a worker rather than an employee. If you take somebody on, a worker to help you in your business, and you call them a contractor, you need to ensure that what the relationship between you actually reflects the legal position. So you might very well call it a self-employed contractor's relationship, but for the purposes of employment law, it might be interpreted as an employee-employer relationship. And whilst there may be benefits to having somebody working on a self-employed basis, it can only cause further problems in the long run if you continue down that path and an issue arises or the worker decides that they want to assert their rights to holiday pay or maternity, those sorts of things. So what I'm saying to you is whilst you might think that it's a self-employed relationship, the best thing to do is to get some advice from a solicitor or your accountant or from a HR professional about exactly the way in which the law would construe the relationship to be between you. This will involve a conversation with you whereby 
your advisor will uh, um, ascertain from you how the relationship works on a day-to-day basis. So who provides the tools, who provides the instructions, all of those sorts of things. And from that, your advisor should be able to give you a fairly good idea of what way in which the employment tribunal would fall if it got to that point of deciding if somebody's an employee or not. Now, you might not think that you're going to run into problems and you might think, well, actually, this is my friend. We've got no, there's no possibility of us having any issues in the future. Um, we're quite happy with the way things are working. She understands. I understand. Um, we're going to be fine. Well, um, that may very well be the case. And in a lot of situations, it is. However, I have been advising recently on a number of scenarios where the relationship has either been friends or family and it started out very well but as time goes by people change people want different things out of life and that's where the problems can arise so it might seem like a fairly formal step to take at the outset of your business or taking somebody on to help you but I would say it will pay dividends in the long run so get some advice define your employment relationship and ensure that you do so correctly from the start. Okay, finally, thanks very much for listening. Um, for those of you who have listened to the last couple of episodes in July, um, you will know that um, it's going to be the UK Podcasters Awards in September. And I would be really grateful if you would help me to um, hopefully win an award by voting for the podcast. I will put a link in the show notes, which you can find at adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 26. And if you could vote for me every day until the 31st of July, I would be very grateful. In addition to this, if you have any questions as a result of anything in the podcast and you'd like to um, answer them, I'm happy to email you back or I can um, answer them on the podcast. I was recently contacted by Anthony, who asked a question about section one statements. I'd recently mentioned that the minimum terms of employment are set out in section one and known as a section one statement. And I don't think I'd made it clear that this was section one of the Employment Rights Act 1996. So if you're interested, you can look that up. And I will put a link in the show notes for anyone who is interested. But as I say, if you have any questions, anything like that, or anything I've not particularly covered very well, um, I'm more than happy to answer them again in the podcast or by email. So do please get in touch. It does help to know that people are listening and um, actually enjoying the content. So hopefully you will be tuning in again next time. And in the meantime, have a great week. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.